magic lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author whose mission is to help people achieve a deeper connection with their horses through his transformational training program. Just because he knows that you know. Welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. This is Robin Schiller taking over the microphone from Warwick again this week to continue my special series on the spouses of some of our earlier podcast guests. I wanted to do this because of the old saying, behind every good man is an incredible woman. And as I keep interviewing, it's proving that old adage true. This week, I talked to Sinead Halpin Maynard, who is the wife of Tick Maynard. Sinead is a member of the United States Equestrian Team, and she rides competitively through the CCI four-star level all over the world. So it's eventing for those who don't understand the acronym. She has trained with the likes of David O'Connor, Captain Mark Phillips, and even spent a year working for William Fox Pitt. I hope that you'll enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Okay, so I'm here with Sinead Halpin Maynard, and welcome. Thank you for coming on the Journey On podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Excellent. So... Sinead is Tick Maynard's wife, and when I asked Tick if she would like to be on the podcast and gave him the premise for, the, for, for my kind of role in this, he said, well, that's, you know, you may have to redo some of the questions because I'm known as, as you know, Sinead's husband. <laughs> He's never, she's never known as Tick's wife, so... Oh, that's funny. He's being yeah. very, very humble. I think, uh, I think those times have changed quite a bit. I think, um, uh, depending on the circles that we're in, we're, we're actually, I would say now we're, um, you know, we're, we're kind of known as a couple. Most of the time we both kind of have our own sides of, of the partnership and the business. And I think, um, those things meld together pretty well now, but yeah, that was definitely a running joke for, for a long time at the competitions was, uh, I've known the announcers and the commentators uh, since I was like a teenager. So he would get announced actually as Mr. Halpin a lot of the times, (laughs) which thank God he has a sense of humor. (laughs) And, you know, for Warwick and I, it's kind of shifted, too, because for for most of our married life, um, I worked outside of the business. So mm-hmm. I was the one with the stable job and, you know, the health benefits. And yeah. And um, so when he would come to my company's events, you know, he was my husband. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, so, oh, so you do horses? That's yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. They didn't get it. And, and now, you know, now it's kind of turned around now that yeah. I'm part of the business. And so of course I'm Warwick's wife. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's fine. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, ha- I have no problem with that. Well, let's get into, get into who you are and yeah. What is your horsey background? <laughs> um, well, let's see. I mean, I think I probably started like most kids kind of the, I want a pony, I want a pony. And, um, my parents um, immigrated from Ireland, so um, and my brother was actually born in Ireland as well. So they came over in their early twenties, and my mom had grown up on a farm um, in the country, and so she had kind of grown up on a farm life and with horses. And I think um, 
when I started down that road, she thought it would be a nice way to reconnect with that. But I honestly, I was too young to start riding. And my brother was a year and a half older. And, um, so they actually let him start riding first and thank God he quit in like a month or two. He was over it, but, um, they ended up finding a place that I could take riding lessons. And so, you know, kind of started with up down lessons. And then, um, my mom, um, we, we got a horse together, you know, and it was this huge, you know, massive, I think it was a 15 hand thoroughbred. I was just so little. you know. And, um, so we had that, a local boarding barn in South Carolina and, um, kind of grew from there, basically, you know, started, started down that road and ended up, there was a local kind of ballpark. I mean, it was literally a ballpark in, um, South Carolina where I was at the time. So we do like, uh, they had horse shows on the weekend where we could do everything from bareback ride a buck classes to Western to hunters to jumpers. And, um, so we did a little bit of everything and started taking some lessons with a hunter jumper trainer and, um, yeah. I mean, it just kind of went wild from there. <laughs> so how old were you when you started? Um, I think I was probably six and we, um, dabbled around kind of in up down lessons for a few years and then, um, moved into kind of more formal training probably when I was like 10 or something. Um, and yeah. And my mom, you know, my mom is a real, like no nonsense kind of lady. She's pretty strong personality, very Irish, very, um, <laughs> opinionated and some, you know, I did hunters for a couple of years and it just didn't really sit well with her. Honestly. Um, I think there were a couple situations where it became more important, like the color of my saddle than, um, you know, the quality of the work that I was doing. And I, uh, you know, I enjoyed it for a long time and I, I really liked the competing side of it and we had a good community at the barn. And then I really think it was one day my trainer had a, you know, a meltdown at my mom for buying the wrong brand saddle or something. And she just put the pony in the trailer and we left. And that was the last time I was in the hunter ring. Um, so we had a, a friend that knew something about three day eventing and I hadn't, um, been introduced to that, but it looked really cool. Like I had been to a local show and seen some cross country and I didn't realize there were three phases. I just knew people got to like gallop across the field and jump stuff, which I thought was really neat. Um, so I started taking lessons, um, with a lady that was, uh, you know, she had kind of competed through the preliminary level and started taking, um, eventing lessons from her and, I had a, had had a pony at the time that was kind of a rescue pony. And, uh, and then ended up, you know, we thought we didn't, I mean, we just didn't know anything and we knew that dressage was part of eventing. And so obviously we bought an Arabian <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, not thinking of the other two phases, the jumping phases. <laughs> um, so anyway, I had this Arabian, I, I started, uh, kind of eventing with that. It would kind of do this deer hop thing from one side of the jump to the other, but it was pretty and it was gray. And when you don't know any better, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was kind of the, the beginning part. And at the time my, we were at a boarding facility and my mom actually picked up fox hunting. She really, my mom does not like competing. It's not, um, uh, she just doesn't have much interest in that, but she loves horses. It's really her, you know, she's always had, there was just a brief period of time where she didn't have them. And so she found fox hunting and loved it. 
So she ended up getting kind of a older retired show jumping horse that she fox hunted and I would event on the weekend. And so it was a really awesome uh, thing for us to do together. And you were still in South Carolina? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in South Carolina and my dad... Um, my dad had a number of different jobs and he was a real entrepreneur and he was a builder for a period of time. And he ended up, um, actually it was pretty incredible looking back on it. He started working with a local contractor and built, a, a, a 16 stall boarding barn. And then there was a big equestrian community built around it. So when I was in high school, it was, it was pretty cool. So we ended up moving above the barn and we were supposed to just live above the barn for a short period of time. And of course, you know, we were there for a while. Um, and my mom ran the boarding barn and, um, the, actually the university of South Carolina ended up doing their hunter jumper program out of the barn. And I rode there and it was great because it was like five miles from my high school. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a good community. It was really cool. And then, so that took you into the eventing with the Arab. Mm-hmm. And then how did it transform to what you are doing now? <laughs> a lot of broken bones. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess what happened was when I was 15, so it was the summer um, of between my sophomore and junior year, I guess, um, I had heard about um, these working student programs. Um, where you could basically go be an intern for a professional rider. And that really interested me a lot. Um, and my parents were awesome. Like I would never let my child like leave the state at 15. I mean, 15 is like a, you know, and, um, but in South Carolina, you could have your driver's license. I had my, I could drive during the day by myself. And so I ended up in, um, getting a working student job in Virginia, which was 10 hours North Um, so I got to go to Virginia when I was 15 for three months in the summer and work for, um, a Canadian Olympic rider. And at the time he was competing at the five-star level and it was just like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, and I had a, a, at that point we had bought a thoroughbred off the track, a four-year-old. It was way too much for me. Like my, um, at the time I was pretty intimidated by the horse, but Um, anyway, that was even more of a reason to head up to Virginia. And, you know, I had been pretty shy in school. I didn't really connect to much people. There weren't horses, weren't really a thing at my school. And, um, I, I had some barn friends, you know, how we do. But when I went to, um, Virginia, I realized there was just like this hub of people just like me. And there was a girl there from England and there was a girl there from Maryland and there was a girl there from Virginia. And we all kind of were on this weird, we were just drawn to this space. And, um, and I just loved it. And I got a taste of, uh, you know, I kind of saw these magnificent animals, you know, these imported warm blood, you know, thoroughbred jumping. I mean, just like nothing I'd ever seen before. And, um, the barn management was just unbelievable. And the head grooms were just I mean, it was just crazy. And I, you know, I think I was a nightmare when I got home. Um, (laughs) like, uh, you know, I walked into the barn at like a 15 year old total know-it-all. And, um, so I did that when I was 15 and then went back to my, uh, junior year of school. And then I went back again when I was 16, um, and spent a couple of months. And then I actually got out of school as fast as I could. And, um, ended up moving at 17 to go work for this trainer, um, at the time. And I think, 
I think we were actually in Georgia. I think I had moved to, he, him and his wife had moved to Georgia at the time. So I'm packed up and headed to Georgia and um, worked for him for the next um, kind of three years. And um, that was a pretty interesting time. I mean, I, he is not a good person. (laughs) I had no idea at the time. I mean, right now he's actually stay anonymous. (laughs) I think, uh, yeah, exactly. He, he, you know what he, um, I learned, I wouldn't, I would probably make the time period shorter that I was there, but you know, in this time of safe sport, like he's not allowed in the country anymore. He's listed on the safe sport stuff. It's pretty, um, I, the, you know, and I didn't see some of that side, but it was a pretty, um, you know, just some of the things that were allowed as far as kind of emotional abuse were, were pretty powerful, you know, it was like pretty gnarly stuff. And, um, but the horses and the barn management was amazing. And the work ethic that I learned from a really young age was amazing. Um, and I think, uh, I feel I am a real big believer in the working student program. I mean, I would advise parents to be wary of the, you know, and I think the time now people are a lot more wary, um, of, of situations that you can go into, but you know, there's nothing better than just being immersed in the environment and especially at a very elite level. Um, so, you know, through that period of time, I ended up the horse that I went with originally, um, was, it was too much of a horse for me. And I ended up trading it with the trainer for another horse, um, that he was riding. That was kind of on, it was, it was a kind of a schoolmaster on its way down. And this horse that I had was an exceptionally talented horse on the way up. So it was actually an opportunity for both of us. And that horse, the young horse I had ended up going, um, it went to Kentucky, it went to Burley, it traveled all over the world doing amazing things, but not with me. (laughs) And, uh, and I had, and I had had the horse that I got had a, you know, kind of a two year run with me. And it took me through the top levels of the sport, like through the advanced levels of the sport, which was, um, you know, it was great from a young age to get a taste of that level. And I think, um, it was, it really hooked me in. I mean, I just saw from the, the bottom to the top and all the behind the scenes and the good, the bad, the ugly. And, uh, Um, and actually I kind of recognize that if you did just kind of keep your head down and work really hard, no matter what you could kind of get there, you know, I think, um, uh, it's, it, you know, horses at the end of the day are kind of an elitist sport. And so, uh, especially in the jumping disciplines, things like that, it can kind of feel like if you're not, you know, if you don't have the finances that you're not going to be able to achieve, uh, all that you want to, but, I came up at it from a very strong work point of view and really got, got there early. And then it would be another 10 years before I got back there again. But, (laughs) um, it was, it was a really wild, you know, kind of five, six years on that, you know, on that path. I mean, we were in Georgia and Virginia, we spent um, months in Canada competing. We were in Florida competing every weekend and it was just kind of like, you know, go, go. So, Yeah. So you mentioned a 10 year break. What was- <laughs> well, it well, before I got kind of back to the top again. Um, so I, when I was about 18 or 19, I recognized it was a pretty unhealthy place for me to stay. Um, and, um, and I, so I just had to figure out what to do. <laughs> and so what I ended up doing was I was in, I went back to Middleburg, Virginia 
and just started. I was very uh, wary of the working student program, but I knew that I needed to be around really good people. And I had a friend who knew David and Karen O'Connor. And David would, had just come off of his gold medal win at Sydney. Um, and she said, I can introduce you. <laughs> and so I remember like going over to meet David and he was like, I was shaking, you know, I was just like, I couldn't, I was so, I was traumatized from my previous situation and, um, I was just awestruck and he was so cool and, um, down to earth and laid back and just kind of asked me what I wanted to do. And I think I rambled for, I don't even know what I said for a long time. Um, and he and Karen had really developed um, a team. It was called O'Connor Event Team. And a lot, honestly, probably 80% of the people that maybe more that rode for him were people that were between the, my age, which was like 18. So like 16 to 21 or mid 20s. But most of them were fairly, um, honestly, wealthy. Like they had, they were paying to be in the program and they had one or two working students. And I kind of explained my situation and said, I, you know, I, um, would like to pay for lessons. Um, I'm going to keep, I had one horse, I'm going to keep it off the property. I'll pay for that. And, but I'd like to be part of this team and, um, and I'll, you know, I, I will do whatever it takes to be part of this team. So he was great. And I ended up, um, galloping racehorses and waitressing. So I bookend the day and there was a great track, a great training track there. And I got to learn to ride racehorses under a really amazing lady named Barbara Graham, um, who kind of took care of all of us kids. So I would, you know, gallop kind of eight to 10 horses in the morning and then ride whatever. If there were po- like polo ponies, fox hunters, Middleburg is just an awesome space. So there was, it, it was a lot, there was ways to kind of, you know, survive, make ends meet. And then I'd take my lessons and then waitress down in the, at the local pub. I was a terrible waitress. I don't even know. I mean, I probably, yeah, it was awful. <laughs> Um, but yeah. And so that was kind of the next, um, several years I stayed in that program and was really, um, you know, went through, um, you know, a a few horses up and down and, um, David and Karen were just amazing. That was my first introduction to kind of the natural horsemanship side of stuff. I mean, David at that point had partnered up with, um, Pat and Linda a bit. And so it was really cool because the way that David, does stuff and Karen do stuff. It's really neat. They just kind of immerse and for a little while, and then they kind of take out what they like. And, you know, a lot of the work that David wanted to do was to teach horses to jump on a rope, you know, so they could get more confident in, um, in the cross country work. Um, and especially with starting the babies. So we all had, it was like required that we learned, um, quite a bit of that work, which was pretty inspiring. Um, and nobody else was doing it in, in the equestrian sports uh, or in the eventing that we knew of. Um, so, so yeah, I was there for a long time and to be honest, then I went through kind of a stint of breaking a lot of bones. Like I just, (laughs) I just kept, um, you know, I was competing and I, uh, was, I was like kind of any young person. I was in a hurry all the time. I was exhausted. I was working like a lot and, but was also, you know, pretty stubborn and pretty driven and, um, you know, with horses that doesn't always work. (laughs) Uh, so they kept teaching my, me lessons (laughs) and, um, 
yeah, so I was there for a while and it was, I mean, I think I broke my hand, my collarbone, my femur, um, you know, it was just kind of a, kind of a funky run there for a few years. Um, and ultimately I had a really awful experience with a horse having a rotational on cross country. And that was kind of, and I lost the horse and it was, I was kind of, you know, the world needed to shift. So I, sold everything and moved to England. (laughs) Well, there you go. So that brings us to that next part. So (laughs) yeah, that was kind of a mouthful. (laughs) And so what was in England? So, um, I had ended up, um, um, talking to David quite a bit and just was really, uh, you know, kind of lost and, and nobody could really answer the questions for me about what in particular was going on or going wrong. And, um, at that point I had been on, so we have kind of these training sessions and they've got something, you know, they've got lists. So twice a year, the U S eventing team comes out with kind of like what would be like an A list, a B list and a developing rider list. And so I had gotten on developing riders a couple of times, meaning that you're kind of an up and coming rider. You get a couple of, um, training sessions, you get connected with, um, uh, the team coach at the time was captain Mark Phillips. So I had had all these interactions and been fortunate enough to kind of be in the spaces with these people. And then, um, Mark Phillips, who was our coach at the time and David both kind of said, well, why don't you go to England and Zara Phillips, um, who's Mark's daughter, who, uh, if anybody watches the crown, so princess Anne's, <laughs> so, um, you know, and I didn't really know anything. I mean, royalty wasn't really like a thing. I, I didn't really realize it was a thing until I got over there. Um, but Zara is my age and needed some freelancing help. And, and Mark had said, um, captain Phillips had said, look, like Zara had won the world championships at that point and was 27 or something but she didn't have a ton of her business side worked out and she didn't have, um, all of that ironed out, but she had been very competitive. And for me at this point, I had kind of had a sales business. I had obviously done a bunch of different things, done some consignments, and I really had kind of a business savvy of it, but I hadn't quite gotten the competitive side. And so Mark kind of thought, you know, together we could figure out, you know, it might just be a good match. Um, so I thought, what the heck? Um, let's go. So um, I moved over there um, in 2007 um, to work for Zara, and in um, it's in the Cotswolds. And um, yeah, so I was I was there for about six months, and to be honest with you, it didn't really work great. Um, there was quite a divide, which I didn't realize. Kind of the area that I was in um, was very close knit, very kind of old money. Um, you know, if you didn't have a five-star horse, you didn't, you know, that it was like, well, then what are you doing? You know? And it was a big divide. And at the time I didn't really understand now, honestly, you know, 10 years later, 12 years later, like now I'm friends with Zara. I'm friends with a lot of people there that I, but I think I kind of came in a little bit naive and I didn't realize, um, you know, every culture is a little different of how you can move into it. And I think I came in honestly a little strong. And, um, so, uh, David came over for Burley, uh, in, in September or something. I'd been there a couple of months and I said, this isn't working. Like I'm really unhappy and there's not enough work. Like I wasn't working. Like I, 
Um, you know, I was kind of riding a couple horses for Zara. There wasn't the type of freelance work that had been in the States. I couldn't get, you know, I just wasn't doing anything. So I was really unhappy. And, um, so he introduced me to William Fox Pitt. Um, he's just amazing. And he, him and his wife are down in Dorset. And, um, I, and I drove down and interviewed with him to be part of his team and to work, you know, like just to be in the barn and to ride and do everything. And he had, it was awesome. I mean, he had 26 horses. All of them were competing at the preliminary level and above. He had three that were qualified for Hong Kong that were getting ready for the Olympics that the team just get, they said, take whoever you want. He couldn't decide. So we were getting three horses ready for Hong Kong, which was so cool. Um, and I just loved it. So I was there for, um, close to two years and just like, it was the shift I needed. It just like, I had a break from everything in the States. I didn't have, um, I didn't, I bought a horse when I, right before I went to Williams and, um, the third, it was in quarantine the third day I was there. And when I went down to the barn to feed him, (laughs) I, he didn't come to the door and he had one of the ponies, William had bought his wife, this pony for Christmas and hadn't told her yet. And it had gotten loose. And the horse I had gotten was very French and he had kicked his leg through the metal door and severed his hind extensor tendon. So literally the tendon that runs down the front of his hind leg had already recoiled an inch, um, and it picks up the hind leg. So that sucked. Yeah. (laughs) So, So we got him on the trailer and got him to, um, the vet clinic. And honestly, he spent the whole time, almost the whole time I was at Williams rehabbing. Um, so I didn't really have a horse there, but William was so wonderful. He like, I mean, I was riding six or seven horses for him. And then he, any horse that came onto the yard for him, that was too small. Cause he's like six, five. Um, I would get to compete and ride and it was almost better actually, because I just got to just focus on what he was doing and he's, he wouldn't have been a big teacher, but he just kind of watched and learned and he's a wonderful horseman. Um, so yeah, that was that. Okay. So after England, then what? (laughs) Um, so then I came home. Um, I kind of was there long enough to realize, um, it was going to be big. I really loved it, but I needed to be able to make a living and I didn't think I was going to be able to do that there. Um, so the horse that had been injured was I, I, he somehow like miraculously recovered. I mean, the tendon just found itself again and I competed him twice in England before I came home. Um, and he seemed like he was going to be a pretty nice horse. And I remember William saying, um, you know, he's a little shy, he's a little introverted. He kind of had his own style jumping, but William loved him and just said, don't let, you're going to go home and people are going to try and change this horse and don't like, he's as good as any horse in my barn. And, um, so I came home and, um, ended up going back to Virginia for a little bit, um, to try and get my bearings there. And that horse ended up going to right away to a three-star, which at the time was an advanced level of competition. And he like, and this was, so my first, so I guess it was about eight years later, nine years later, because the last time I had really been, like I said before, at the top level was around 2000, 2001. And then this horse came back and he all of a sudden, um, finished third in the national championships that year. And it was kind of crazy. And right away I got back on some of those lists and, um, and then I had a really awesome 10 year run with that horse. I mean, he ended up the, he was, um, the next 
year or two is on all the list. Then we got to go to Holland for a nation's cup. And then he was national champion at Kentucky and then went to Burley a couple times and went to the world championships. And so it was just like a whirlwind. And now here we are. <laughs> so question, you're Irish American. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. ride for US? America. Or I- okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I've got dual citizenship, that, but-, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And then, so does that bring us up to when you met Tick or what? Yeah. Like, so, so you're competing at this really high level and yeah. doing all these fabulous things and you have your own training barn. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it was really funny. Tick and I actually crossed paths like for two years. I mean, it was really bizarre. So I, when I had come back from England, I was in Virginia and then I actually went to Aiken for the winter because it started to become something that people did. And one of the events got snowed out. And so I needed to go to Florida to compete this horse, this nice horse that had come back with me from England. And then I think I had four horses competing. So uh, I needed help at the event. And uh, I called down to David and Karen and their head groom, Max. I said, do you, do you have anybody that can help me? Because, you know, when you go to a, a, a three-day event, you know, you, if you have, if you have one horse, you can do it yourself, no problem. But if you have four, like logistically, you know, you're, you're kind of thinking three, six, nine, 12 rides in two days. So you really can't be everywhere you need to be. So you really need help. Um, and so Max said, well, we have this guy here for the week that are for the winter working for us. He could probably come help you. And I literally said, Max, I need somebody that's useful. Like I, the, my experience with guys is just, they're not. <laughs> um, and she kind of said, well, he's all we've got. So, um, he can at least dump your water buckets. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so I showed up at the event and I pulled in and, um, it was so funny because I can still picture it, you know, like I'm pulling in with my rig and I see this guy and he's got a, a camera over his shoulder and it's tick and he sees me, he starts waving and he's smiling from ear to ear and just so Canadian. Right. And, um, like, you know, just, just filled with energy and saying, Oh, hi, you know, what can I do? Blah, blah, blah. And it was so funny. So he, yeah, he groomed, that's the joke. He groomed for me for the weekend. He worked for me for the weekend. Um, and, and that was nice. Like he had a great energy. It was really fun. It was really nice. I was seeing someone else. He was seeing somebody else. I wasn't really, you know, and he was, I went back to Aiken and he went back to the O'Connors and then funnily enough, like five months later or something, I was back in Virginia and I was renting a room from a friend and she called me and said, Oh, Hey, um, I've got a friend that's coming by that's heading back home. He's just spending the night at the house and and she wasn't there. She was out of town. So that's fine. And I come home and tick is on the couch (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, well, hello there. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, was flying back to Vancouver. So I, again, I was in and out. I said, hi, how's everything going? And chatted for a second. And then he was off to Vancouver and that was it. And, um, the next winter (laughs) I was in Aiken, I think again, and I had a horse that I needed to send to Wellington to get sold as a jumper. And I had been riding a bit with Ann Krasinski, who's a really good show jumper. And I called her to see if I could send the horse down. Um, and she called, she said, yeah. And she called me back and she goes, oh, I have a friend of yours that's working down here. And it was Tick <laughs> who was working for Anne that winter. He'd worked for the O'Connors the winter before and he was working for Anne. 
um, that winter, which was so funny. Um, and so then Tick starts texting, are you bringing the horse down? Are you coming down here? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, I'm sending the horse on a shipper. Hope everything's well. See you later. (laughs) Next summer, I get a phone call from, I had in this, at this point I'd moved to New Jersey. Actually, I had some friends that were in the area and the business in Virginia was just super saturated. So I decided to try Gladstone, New Jersey, which is a really beautiful area, um, to see if I could just get a little bit better, um, start there. And I got a Facebook message from Tick saying, Hey, I've taken on an assistant trainer job with Anne, and I think we're living in the same state. And he was living like 20 minutes away from me, um, which was like crazy. Um, and at that time I was kind of all by myself. Like I, the person I had been dating before we had broken up and, um, I was just kind of getting things going. And so, yeah, that summer we just hung out every Monday he, on his day off and my day off. And we just, none of us knew anything about New Jersey. So we just kind of pick a little town and go hang out and have lunch at a town. And, um, I think that was 2010. Um, and we still just were kind of friends all summer. And then the fall of 2010, finally, we were like, maybe this is like meant to be. (laughs) And that was that. All right. So that was a mouthful. Sorry that I just, (laughs) that's okay. So, so it was just a friendship that evolved into a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Those are kind of the best kind, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in our own way, we're both on, you know, and we laugh about it now. We're like, so glad we didn't meet each other when we were like 20. Um, because we were both so on our own journey and path and, you know, kind of emotionally up and down. And by the time our paths, you know, bumped against and bumped against. And by the time they kind of aligned, I think we were both really in a space that we were kind of ready for each other, if that makes sense. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty powerful. And I, you know, like I had never, it was just, I just never, horses were always my agenda. And I just had never thought about, I mean, it's weird. I was like, you know, 27 or something. And I just assumed I'd get married at some point, but it was never on my radar. And then, you know, kind of that year, it was just like, you know, a given, you know, it was just, this is the perfect person for me. And that was that. (laughs) And that brings, okay. So then, so how did you, once you were a couple, what, Mm -hmm. how did that evolve? So what, where did you live? And yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Um, so I had an apartment, um, and so he moved into the apartment and it was so funny because, you know, Tick had never, I mean, he was, I think 27, 28, he never had his own apartment. Like, because he had, you know, he was, he was a pentathlete for a long time. So he went and he went to UBC. So when he was in school, he lived at his house. And then for pentathlon, he just traveled all over the world. I mean, he was a carded athlete for that, went to the Pan Am. So he was always traveling and then his home base would be at home. And then, you know, after he missed out on going to the Olympics, um, after that, a bad fall in Mexico, he kind of went on his journey, um, you know, that he wrote about in his book where he was just doing all these short working student stints. And he was in Belgium for a while in Germany and then Wellington and Texas. And so still he just kind of was roaming, you know? And, um, so when I met him, he was still very much in that phase of, um, not totally, you know, like anytime you're around tick, he just, he's so awesome. He just is so broad. He has so many, um, 
you know, he just can't get enough information and his energy is so fun and open and, um, you know, but it needed a little focusing (laughs) and mine would have been the opposite. I would have been like, this is what I'm doing. Like there's no other way or thing and there's nothing out there. And, um, so I think we were both really good for each other, but he, so we ended up moving into the apartment, my apartment in, and, um, yeah. And then it was kind of like a slow grow. I mean, because at that point, like even he, like his truck was his dad's truck, you know, like his, um, so basically I was like, you got to get rid of the truck. You got to get a visa. You got to get a job. <laughs> you got to get your own cell phone and, um, you know, let's, let's, you know, figure this out. And, you know, he's just so awesome. And I think, I think that's what I mean when we're both kind of ready for each other at that point is that I think he was really ready to figure out what he wanted to do and what his journey with horses were. And he, over his time, um, kind of all over the place with, uh, riding and working with different people, I think it really solidified that horses were going to be his, his life's work. Um, so he was ready to figure that out. So he ended up getting a training job at a local barn. And, um, so for the first couple of years, honestly, he had to stay back in New Jersey and I'd go to Florida for the winter. Um, and then eventually, I mean, eventually we got married. So then when he got his green card, he was able to be a little bit of a, you know, start his own business basically. And we, started business separately. Like I didn't, I actually really didn't want to do our businesses together. I wanted separate staff, separate barns, separate everything. (laughs) And we did that. We ended up, you know, we ended up at two different barns in New Jersey. You know, he'd go off to work, I'd go off to work. And then same thing in Florida, we'd rent barns that are properties that had two different barns, different staff. Um, and we did that for a long time. And then it just, you know, as you know, it just becomes easier to kind of, um, And I think I was very worried about, you know, conflict and I'd seen it a lot in, um, you know, husband, wife couples that do the same thing in the same barn. It just becomes work all the time. And, um, there's a lot of stress that's involved there, but the more we started to work together, the more we really recognized our strengths were in such different places. Um, and we really could compliment each other on what we liked doing, honestly, and, and things that we didn't like doing. And even when it comes down to the horses, like, uh, the, our favorite types of horses are different. So it's often we're shifting horses around even competitive horses that'll come into the barn for him to ride. He'll ride them for a month or two and say, I think this is really suited more towards you. And same thing. Some will come into the barn and I'll shift them towards him. Um, so, so what, that, what yeah. are those differences? Um, well, a couple different things like a tick is, um, well, A, he loves, uh, he actually loves a few different avenues in his day. Like if his perfect world, if he could, um, you know, get up, have his cup of coffee, do two horses or three horses in the round pen and, you know, help and watch and do that, then do his two horses or three competitive horses, maybe teach a lesson and then write for the afternoon. And he would love doing that. He loves teaching clinics. Like he loves traveling, you know, like it wouldn't be his perfect world to manage the staff figure out the veterinary stuff, um, organize the show schedule, ride eight horses a day. Um, you know, whereas that's my jam. Yep. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I feel like you get that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, those things, and actually he's way better. Like he won't, he doesn't enjoy it, but like, he's way better at the paperwork. Like he, um, is, is kind of good at adulting that way. Um, 
So if he can write and work in front of his computer for two hours and then spend 20 minutes catching up on some paperwork, that's good for him. If I'm down in the barn working with the staff, talking to the vets, organizing, you know, stuff with our sponsors, it's a good compromise. So that's currently, that's how it looks. <clears throat> yeah. So well, we have a three-year-old, well, he's almost three. We have a, um, a three-year-old son. So yeah. So right now the barn, the majority of what we do is horses and training and clinics. Um, we have probably, you know, I would say 10 ship-in lessons a week between the two of us, maybe more, maybe less, but that's not a big focus of our work. We have a, we have 20 acres and 22 stalls and, so there's a pretty even split there of com um, competition horses and, um, and uh, horses in training. We don't do a lot of sales. Neither of us really enjoy um, sales. We did that for a little bit and found that quite disheartening on a few levels. Um, so, yeah, and then the clinics. We both do a lot of clinics. And how did life change after your... <laughs> After your, your son was born. I, I like to, I, we lack in sleep. <laughs> um, you know, it's been great. I, honestly, I think, uh, I think for me, it was really helpful because for once I kind of let myself off the hook a little bit. Like, you know, I was always like, you couldn't work enough hours in a day, you know, like it was just like, even if it was stupid work, you know, like even if I'd just be in the barn till nine, because I just felt guilty if I left, um, you know, like I have to work harder and, uh, you know, now it's, I've got to be a lot better about time management, um, and making sure that our lives are streamlined into a way that is what's important. You know, what do we love doing? What keeps us financially stable? You know, how, how can we, you know, we just can't waste time. I mean, you know, you just can't, there's no time to waste. And, um, so I think that's actually been really great. And, you know, I was really uh, scared, um, really, really scared because it's not my, it, I, you know, we had a, a kid because like I just, with Tick, he just had to be a dad. Like there was just no, um, and again, it was kind of like the marriage thing. I'd never really thought about it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I'm 36. <laughs> you know? um, I mean, I didn't know that was like a geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> I was like, who's mature enough to have a kid before 36? Um, but you know, so it had to, it became, a, um, yeah, it became part of the conversation. And I was just so scared because I didn't want to stop doing what I do. You know, I just had had, and I'm just so lucky because tick is just super dad. And honestly, like if his day could be like writing and just like playing, <laughs> would just play. <laughs> and, uh, um, so we, we share everything pretty equally. I mean, Brooks, we had, we went through, you know, nannies and working students and stuff, um, helping us with Brooks. Cause we don't have our, my mom just moved down closer to here and she's down about once a month, but our family's not around. Um, so now he's in a Montessori school, which is great. So, um, it's actually been, awesome. And I think that's one of the things that now I'm seeing more in the competitive culture is that it's okay to stop and have kids. I think the generation before me, I think there's a lot of regrets in that if, of feeling like there's never time, it's never right time. And if you stop, then you're, you're going to lose your competitive edge and it's just not true. Um, so it's been pretty powerful. So I want to veer off cause I'm curious about, yeah. <clears throat> about, what uh, Tick mentioned something in his questions about um, an eventing horse that 
maybe somebody thinks is a great one because they're enthusiastic <clears throat> and, you know, fast on the cross country course. <clears throat> when he, he said, I don't, I'm paraphrasing totally because yeah. I, I don't know anything about it, but you know, maybe that horse is just anxious. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so my question is what makes for a good eventer? What do you look for <laughs> in an eventing horse? Uh, the elusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, I, <clears throat> a, they have to be, you know, they, they, for a very good eventing horse, they need to be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, trainable. I mean, they need to be trainable and rideable. Now this, the level of the sport has gotten so hard is that you, you really need to have three very good gates. I mean, their dressage gates need to be good. Great walk, great trot, great canter. They need to be very brave on cross country, but also very careful, which is a hard combination to find because like in the show jumping horses that jump, you know, meter 50, meter 60, um, <clears throat> they would probably be too careful to go cross country, you know, when the footing's a bit tough or they're at the full out gallop or something's not quite right, or, you know, they're, it's, they're going to be too careful to, um, navigate that. So it's a combination of, of, you know, mind, body, spirit really is they've got to have the physique to be able to tolerate the work. It's a lot of fitness work, you know, like it's, they have to be very, um, strong boned and be able to handle a lot of trots, a lot of cantering, a lot of galloping, you know, built uphill, great feet, that type of thing. So they can sustain the work because, <clears throat> you know, an eventing horse isn't something that's developed over a year. I mean, your peak age at the top level, you know, probably your youngest horse at the Olympics this year was maybe nine or 10. But I would say, you know, like when you're 13, 14, that's your peak year. So you're developing these horses from four years old. So um, you're most likely going to have a season or two off with a small injury here or there just because that's life. But physically, they have to be able to hold up to it. So they need to be well built. <clears throat> Mentally, they've got to be pretty tough, but also pliable. You know, they have to be flexible and, and uh, on several different ways that they can handle atmosphere. They can handle the training. They can handle the cross country Um yeah. So I think it's, it's really, it's hard to find one that's a master at all three phases. Um, I think the heart of our sport is cross country. Um, so the bravery is very important. The gallop is very, very important. Um, and, and for us, you know, that's what I think what we're trying to do kind of this time around is I think we've all touched on it. Um, you know, all of us with horses have touched on it is that relationship side of it. And I think for eventing horses, the relationship and the connection is so powerful because it needs, because the dialogue changes across three phases and, you know, safety is an issue. Um, and split second decisions and being, um, you know, calm <laughs> when you're going, you know, 600 meters per minute at a solid obstacle is, is really important and having that faith and trust in, in your horse. So, um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, looking for a lower level event horse and amateurs event horse is different than a five-star event horse. Um, you know, they, they don't need to be, you know, they just need to be kind <laughs> when they're <laughs> kind and brave and forgiving, you know, a little bit more of like an earth constitution, um, at the lower levels and at the top levels that leaning a little more towards that fiery, um, you know, warrior type mentality, <laughs> it's going to be, um, important. And probably it sounds like I'm just envisioning that mm -hmm. that's kind of the same thing you need in the rider. Yeah, <laughs> probably. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not brave. Like I'm not a brave, uh, 
you know, like I joke all the time, like I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of flying. I'm scared of the water. I'm scared of sharks. Um, but I have a ton of faith in the horses and the connection and the skill set. Um, you know, I work really hard at that. Like tick is a little bit more of like, you know, like he doesn't mind the eight second, let's see if we can ride out the eight second buck, you know, or put it up or let's go faster. You know, he's very cool in his head. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's gotta be some type of burning something that, you know, pushes you to those, um, extreme levels. But I would imagine it's the same in any like high performance sport or business or anything like that, that kind of just pushes you in a direction to try, um, to be the best that you can. And in competition, it's, it's actually sometimes a little easier to tell because it's actually the competition is where you go and you see, (laughs) you know, am I, do we have this together? Do we need to go back to the, to the drawing board? And I think, um, you know, the competition for me kind of, uh, inspires the evolution, you know, like that is, you know, tick, you know, tick really likes to compete, but he'd also say like, if I didn't compete again, like I'd stay, you know, I'd still be doing this job and, and I'm pretty sure I would be too, but the competition really inspires my evolution, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to get into some of these questions here Mm -hmm. that, um, we haven't answered. Well, what is the, what is your competition schedule like? Um, well, (laughs) we, we get kind of rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. So we, um, like we start, we've got a competition this weekend and then we're in Georgia next weekend. And then we're gone to my brother's getting married and then we're at a competition in South Carolina the next weekend, but we work in season. So there's normally a culmination event, the championships in the fall and a championships in the spring. So the, the competitions leading up to those are qualifiers. Um, so it depends what horses we have in the barn and who's doing what, but our summer season in Florida is light. So we like the new world equestrian center got built down here, which Mm -hmm. is pretty phenomenal. So we actually show jumped a lot this summer. So there's like air conditioning, (laughs) So yeah, it's pretty, pretty spoiled. Um, and then our season kind of, it started last weekend actually. So it goes on till about December and then there's like a month off and then it starts in January. And then the clinics you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, are those joint clinics or? We do both. Um, we do both. There's probably four or five a year that we'll do together, which we really enjoy. That's so much fun. Um, but then we both have places that we, we go by ourselves. So most of the time, and then we do a winter camp together. That's like a four or five day camp down in Florida. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. How does it go? Do you, so who trains who? (laughs) Um, we both help each other. What's that dynamic like? (laughs) We're, we actually both are pretty good at helping each other. Like, um, uh, I tend to help tick on the flat in the, you know, in the dressage part of stuff. And I will have an eye on him jumping or he'll, I'll come and watch and, and whatnot. And, um, tick helps me a lot on the, you know, like cross country, or if I'm struggling with a horse that's having some obviously anxiety issues or something like that. Um, he tends to help me a lot there and we'll, we'll trade off quite a bit horses that way. Um, we both ride actually right now, we're both training with different instructors. Um, but, and we also just do a lot of talking. I mean, I'm sure like you and work just so much chatting about what we're learning and what we're doing. And that, that conversation is really, really fun, but Tick grew up taking lessons from his parents. So he's actually great (laughs) about, um, about instruction, but we both help each other. 
Good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me get, I'll go ahead and get to the, the questions that Tick answered okay. and I'll have you, have you uh, answer them. Okay. So uh, Warwick asked him, what book do you recommend the most? And it didn't have to be his favorite book to read, but one that he feels that everybody needs to read. <laughs> and he had a few different ones. Um, he talked about Hemingway and Steinbeck, and then he mentioned a Pat Conroy. Oh, yeah. He likes Pat Conroy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just likes the way Pat Conroy writes. <laughs> okay. Well, so what What about you, other than Tick's book? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, let me see. What am I? I kind of go through different phases. So one of the books that hit me really powerfully lately was called um, The Inner Game of Tennis, um, which is, I think it actually was written in like the 70s or the 80s. Anyway, it's really, um, really neat. And it, it's funny because it actually, um, uh, lines up with some of the, you know, the stuff that you guys talk about on the podcast as well, kind of like the inner mind and outer mind and that type of thing. And, and it's talking about kind of, it, it labels it as, as mind one and mind two. And it's really talking about your conscious mind and your subconscious mind and how that is, um, and it's this coach that writes it and it's, it is really simplified my teaching, my writing, and it comes back to a lot of calming down that not like the chatter, all of those second guessing type of, um, voices and really harmonizing and getting your focus so clean and present. Um, and I just, uh, I actually listened to it on Audible and then read the book and then highlighted it over and over. And it's just a really, um, I think it's kind of before it's time. And this guy, you know, he, people hire him to go in and like teach, uh, you know, he's a tennis coach and he was getting hired by orchestras, by people playing in orchestras because it actually, what he was teaching had very little to do with the actual technique. And it had more to do with what people were feeling and, um, sensing and where their, where their mind was going. And he could kind of help with that. Um, and that has been really powerful with me noticing how distracted, um, I have been in my riding and when I'm teaching and with the horses, it's really helped me, um, just kind of like in a little bit of an umbrella effect, find one thing to focus on. And then that thing kind of takes care of everything else. So I thought that book was really, really awesome. And what was um, it called again? It's the called inner, the inner game of tennis, inner game of tennis. Okay. Yeah. It's really good. Um, another one, uh, the power of one is a really awesome book. Have you read that one? I have a long time ago. Oh, I love, yeah, I yeah. love it. And, um, it's, you know, I, <clears throat> I want to go back and read it again, but I kind of have gone through, you know, Tick and I do this a lot. We kind of go through these like little mini, um, I don't know, like we'll get on a tangent about something. I'm sure you guys do the same and it'll be like a three to four month tangent where you'll learn something new and then you're just, you know, putting all your energy in that. And, and I kind of went through an experience last year where I just, uh, took a break from some of the jumping stuff and started riding with this guy, basically took a break from competing for three months and jumped, honestly, one pole on the ground for six weeks straight. I'd bring four or five horses over and he'd just have me jump this one pole over and over and over again. And it just, that in that book, you know, this guy, this South, little South, South African kid wants to be the, um, 
heavyweight champion of the world. And then he, he practices, practices and learns all this skill set. And then he just realizes he needs to bulk up and needs a different type of skill set. And so he goes to work in the coal mines. And it just like, if you pull back from that book, there's so many different things that you can apply to life that are, you know, you can get super focused on one thing. And sometimes you need to pull back and do something completely different to help that one thing over there. So those, those books, I, I, they're two totally different types of books, but I, those are both on high on my list. Perfect. All right. So the next one was what is, what is, what's been your biggest failure and how has it helped you? And Tick's answer, um, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I've realized that if I'm always going to set my goals so high that I'm going to fail, I have to find something that I'm going to enjoy wholeheartedly, even if I don't achieve, achieve that goal. So I can enjoy doing that thing every day. Yeah. So he didn't really, yeah, he didn't really talk about a particular (laughs) failure. Yeah. Um, probably, um, not, not going to the Olympics in 2012. Um, I think that was a really, uh, really, really hard. I was pretty much like, like leading up to that the year before I was almost like a guarantee and I hadn't been around that long, but my results and it was just kind of a given. And, uh, I went to Europe and trained the whole summer and still I just was kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm going. And final trials didn't go as planned and I didn't make the team. And it was like, you know, all the dreams and goals of my whole life I thought were about to get met. And then it all came, you know, it didn't happen. And it was the best thing ever. Um, there was some really I, I learned so much about, uh, humility and, um, you know, like seeing what things are and then the power of being by myself. Honestly, I stayed in Europe for, um, a couple of weeks and just kept my head down and went to work. And after that had one of the best results of my career, even to date. And, um, it was, it was very eye opening, And I think honestly, if I had gone to the Olympics, I would have done fine. I probably would have been done a mediocre result, but I think I would have missed so many powerful lessons. Um, it was a huge shifting point for me. And, uh, yeah, I learned so much. Great. What is the most worthwhile thing you've put your time into something that's changed the course of your life? Um, the most worthwhile thing I put my time into Um, I think, um, our foundation, like my family and our farm, um, I think one of the things that I realized in the roller coaster of the first kind of 15 years in this sport was that I had no, nothing to fall back on and no stability, like home financially relationship. I was just riding this you know, self-worth of if I was winning or losing. And I think that is too much weight for one person and, and the horses. And, uh, and it gets in a continuous cycle. And then once, and it was a really hard decision, like once, because we both knew we were going to be putting our competitive goals aside to buy the farm, buckle down, you know, do the family stuff. We were going to have to just take a hot second. <clears throat> and it's just been, uh, so great. And we feel so much more, um, yeah, fulfilled. So whatever we do on top of that is just awesome. That's similar to his, he said, family, having a son, learning to be a better writer, right? Writer, W R I T R about horses. Yeah. Um, yeah. He said the nuances in words matter. Oh yeah. 
Um, he also answered the fear question. So most every guest has answered this question because we mm -hmm. give them a list of 20 to choose from. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what is your relationship like with fear? Do you run towards it or find that you play things close to your chest? And I would gather that being an inventor, <laughs> you run pretty fast towards it. Uh, no, like no, I said, I'm very, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I, I, um, was, well, again, it's lucky and unlucky. I was, I had to conquer that pretty, pretty quick. Um, uh, I, I was pretty fearless as a kid. Um, I just hadn't, you know, I was whatever, you know, how most kids are. And then probably when I broke my femur, um, so I had a horse, I just made a bad decision and I had a horse flip over and landed smack in the middle of my femur and broke it right in half. And, um, and it was pretty awful. The surgery was awful. I was in a walker for a while and, um, you know, limped for a year and a half. And the, the, um, like, like I was so scared all the time. I mean, I'd just be hacking on the quietest horse and I'd be walking past a creek and I would picture the horse tripping and flipping over and falling in the creek and, you know, being stuck. And I was so scared. Um, and I, you know, I, I actually didn't think I was going to make it. Like, I didn't think I, I, I remember calling David and going, what am I going to do? Like, this is, this is my job. I'm, what am I going to do? And, um, he, gave me a book. It was called Body, Mind, Mastery, um, and which was a pretty great book. And then he just basically said one day at a time, one jump at a time. And I remember going to a competition and I had a really wonderful owner at the time too. And she recognized that I was very fearful. And I was in the start box and David just said, jump the first jump. And if you don't want to jump the second one, don't. And I jumped the first jump and I checked in and I thought I can jump the second jump. And I was going intermediate, which is pretty high level. And, um, but it, you know, like it starts out a little smaller and then grows. And then honestly, I jumped a few jumps like that. And I jumped into the water jump and I was supposed to turn right and jump a big log or something. And I didn't want to jump it. And I turned left and then I looked at it for a second and I thought, okay, I can do it. And I kind of meandered through the course that way. And I was probably out there for like an hour. <laughs> and, um, anyway, it was a really, like I was just giving myself the space and the next competition I went to and went slow and took my time, but jumped all the jumps. And, you know, like just, I, I figured out through that book and through slowing down time in that space that I just kept telling myself that, you know, eight strides in front of the fence, I'm going to be okay. And I just created this safe space in front of the fence where my focus would just kind of take over, um, on the cross country and no matter how nervous, cause I still, I'm so nervous in like in the start box at before horse show, any of the girls that help me or work for me, like you can't talk to me before I get on and go cross country. I'm just like, you know, but I normally, as soon as I'm out of the box, it's like business. So the fear thing, I really, um, I still have tons of, you know, little tricks and trades that I, I, um, I work with and, you know, fear is valid and it's real. And, you know, when you have start having a few injuries and significant things, you need to you know, like process and learn. And, um, you know, I'm probably a jumpier person in the barn. Like I, when I watch some people move or in, you know, space around the barn and they don't even think anything, I'm like, Oh wow, that must be nice to just move around this space and not, you know, be cautious. <laughs> but then sometimes I'm like, the, you know, that's also when you end up getting a little hurt. So, um, I, I would say I have, um, a respectful relationship with fear. I, I see it, I don't avoid it, but I don't, uh, enjoy it, but it's part of the job. And I, um, have a healthy, uh, 
you know, way of conversating with it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned a book, Body, Mind, Mastery. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. I haven't read it in like a long time, but it was, I remember it being really good. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. Yeah. All right. This is the last one. What do you feel is the worst advice given in your profession? Oh, well, let me go back to Tick's answer with fear. He said, um, <laughs> I try to break it down and start small, just like I would in, with a horse. So if like, if a horse is scared, I try to think like, how can I start at the beginning? How can I break it down? And so that's how he approaches fear. Yeah. I haven't seen him scared very much. <laughs> He's pretty brave. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the same thing about Warwick. I, yeah. <laughs> I haven't really seen him. Yeah. Too scared. Yeah, too, uh, I don't know. Comes a little naturally, the, the bravery or comfort or whatever that is. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do you feel is the, the worst advice given in your profession? And this is where, this is where he said, when you have a person who says, my love, my horse just loves cross country. He run, he just runs around there. I yeah. can hardly stop him. He said, that's probably not the type of horse you want for eventing. Oh my he's God. Probably just running from fear. And again, I'm paraphrasing. His oh, answer, I know. But, no, it's, it's yeah. so funny. We get, we do get phone calls from, I've got this from other disciplines. I've got this horse. He's making a great event horse. He's always like running everywhere, bolting, lathered in sweat. You know, we could go all day. And I'm like, oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to you. Um, <laughs> the worst advice um, given in your profession. <clears throat> I think, I think probably, um, I think probably something along the lines in the training, like it's something along the lines of like, honestly, it's probably when I hear just make them do it. And I think that's horses and people. Um, I've heard that with instructors, with timid or scared students and riders. And I've heard that in young horses and I've heard it in scared and timid horses that don't, you know, they don't understand something. And it's just this, like, just make them do it. Ride them through it. Yeah. It's just makes me insane. Um, you know, (laughs) I think that is such a part of the culture that needs to change and, um, it's crazy how close it is, you know, like how certain things have evolved so much and certain things are just the same, you know, and, um, some of the, I know in, in our sport, sometimes I look at it and it's just, some of the training methods are so archaic and it's like, it should just be so much better. Um, and I don't like getting down in the dirt about, you know, kind of, you know, you, you want to lead by example and speak and show like, there's a different way and there's a better way. And it's nicer. Like, it's just so much nicer. Um, not even on like, like warm and fuzzy, but it's just nicer and more enjoyable for everybody. And it gets you there faster. So, um, I see that. And, and I also see that with, um, yeah, with, with, um, some trainers that don't understand sometimes the fear that just hijacks your body or your brain. And it's like, you're telling this person to just make them do it and they're terrified and then their horse is terrified and this is just a disaster. And, um, you know, that, that I don't like, especially, um, when we have, you know, cross country and the horse is going cross country, there's already so much adrenaline. Um, I would really like to see a new way forward with that. So that's similar to, you know, the raining, um, that we do. Well, I do. Warwick, yeah. Warwick's decided after the World Equestrian Games, he didn't really want to do it anymore. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of right there at this cliff of that. Yeah. You know, um, 
And I have justified it the last couple of years, you know, yeah. saying I'm going to show them a different way. You yeah. know, we went, we went to WEG with the two horses that live together in the paddock and there are horses, you know. Yeah. So we, and we had the best result we've ever had. So, you know, the lead awesome. by example yeah. and, and such, and, you know, that's kind of been my thing for the last couple of years. And I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. The last show I went to, I saw things from the top riders that I don't ever want to see anybody yeah. do to a horse yeah. ever. Yeah. And it, it can, it can be hard. hard. Yeah. It yeah. can be, it's funny that you say that. Cause I went to a competition this spring and honestly, I was listening to one of, I think one of y'all's podcasts and it said it was something about anxiety is unwanted behavior or, you know, unwanted behavior is a form of anxiety about something. And I went to a competition and I started looking around and I thought, Oh my dear God. (laughs) And I just saw, I just saw things in a little bit of a different light and saw so many, um, horses that were anxious about something and then riders that were getting angry, you know, and like put their head down or send them to the right or send them to the left or stop or back them up. And you're just going, there's, you know, it's just hard to, to watch. So I hear that because it's like, you know, like if you're just inching away at it, like how much can you get done and how much do you have to remove yourself and make it change elsewhere? You know, if it's going to hurt your humanity or your heart, yeah, yeah, it's hard. I know. No. Yeah. So I'm staring down this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I know I, I love my horses and, and I love to ride and I love to compete, but yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. What the future holds there, but, yeah. but I applaud you for, for, yeah, leading by example. <laughs> That's what we need more people to do. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, I think you guys are sharing a lot of that message with what you're doing. So I applaud you all. I know we've got, I'm a super fan and I share it with a lot of my eventing friends. And there are a lot of people that are uh, fairly high in the sport, like Olympians that are listening. So I think the message is getting heard. So I think you're, you're, uh, <laughs> your message is definitely being heard through here, even if the competition seems to be taking a back burner. Wow. Well, that's, I'll, I'll wait to tell, tell Warwick that. (laughs) No, he'll be, he'll be thrilled and humbled and yeah. Good. Um, Awesome. Well, that, I think we covered a lot of ground and um, I think people have a a great idea about who you are and, (laughs) And, um, yeah, I think it was a great conversation. Yeah. That was super fun. Sorry. I just talked your ear off for like, no, that's great. So, so thank you so much for, for being on the journey on podcast and yeah, well, hopefully your friends will be listening to this one. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll be like, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the show. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the journey on podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.